1: This jam search, it's got to end now, for my sanity's sake. I mean, we—I know it, they've got time, right? The draft's not till June 21st. It's only April. The, today is the 29th of April. There's time, but you know the Vegas Golden Knights—they're out of the playoffs. What was it—a week ago or so? Maybe a little longer. So there's probably—I'll bet you Bob Nicholson's been on the on the blower to uh, Las Vegas or Brandon or wherever Kelly McCrimmon is right now. And has talked to him, you know, I don't know what that conversation is like. Maybe Kelly's asking Bob more about the situation, well, situation in Edmonton rather than Bob feeling out Kelly McCrimmon. Elliot Friedman was on uh, the local Oilers radio show, Oilers with a little trademark on it, with Bob Stoffer. And Elliot Friedman was saying that the search is now down to three, Hunter, McCrimmon, and another guy. So who knows who the other guy is, could be one of a few. Maybe soon we'll, I mean, it could be as even today, we could get a press release over Twitter or maybe an email. They might tell us details, they might not tell us details. I'm with Derek Van Deist, I'm with Rob Dijkowski today. But any moment now, you guys, you have to jump into action.
0: Yeah, you know what's interesting is I wonder how much of a job GMs are selling themselves to the Oilers and how much of a job the Oilers are selling themselves to the GM because... You look at the situation here at Edmonton, and it's a mess. It's a mess from top on down, and a new GM is going to come in here, and he's going to want to know what he's able to do, and who he's able to let go, and who he's able to to bring in. And I think that's probably the key right now. When you when you look at a guy like Kelly McCrimmon, and you look at a guy like you know Mark Hunter, they're asking, okay, if I get the job, what do I what's what's my power, I guess. What What can I do? Can I, can I tell Wayne Gretzky, thank you very much for your service. See you later. Can I tell Paul Coffey, thank you very much for your service. See you later. Can I tell some of the scouts, thank you very much for your service. See you later. And I think that is one of the big issues right now is are the Oilers selling themselves to a GM or is a GM selling themselves to the Oilers? Because this is not cut and dry position where he comes in here. And has carte blanche to do whatever he wants. He has to have that ability. I know they said that Peter Shirelli had that ability. But I really highly doubt Peter Shirelli hired Wayne Gretzky. I doubt Peter Shirelli wanted to get Paul Coffey on board. I doubt Peter Shirelli wanted, uh, you know, Mark Messi's brother on board. So I think this is a situation right now is, is what if I was a GM, if I was someone looking at this job, which isn't a very appealing job. It's a very attractive job. But those are the questions I'd want to ask. Like, who's interviewing who here? Are they interviewing the GMs or are the GMs interviewing the Oilers?
2: Yeah, it's not it's yeah, you can't just go to a GM and say, you know, hey, you get to have Connor McDavid like that doesn't there isn't really sell it anymore like, you know, there's been a couple of coaches already and a couple of GMs that have had Connor McDavid and and, and been fired. It's a tough job to get into. Like you look at this team and the, you're you're pressed up right against the salary cap. You don't have a lot of assets that you can trade away. Uh, you know, it's there's it's, it's a really tough repair job and if you're a young executive you know looking for his first job as a general manager as full-time GM this is a good place to go and get your reputation destroyed because it's a tough job to get the others out of the situation they're in just you know even forgetting all the problems that they have with player personnel and player development and all the, the other look at this current roster look where they are against the cap look what they have to trade their way out of this and it's it's a tough fix so I think a GM coming into this situation is going to look around and say, "Eh, there might be some better, you know, like any team that's looking for a GM is in bad shape or they wouldn't be looking for a GM typically. But, you know, if you're, if you're McCrimmon, maybe you're waiting on Seattle. If you're, you know, Hunter, you know, it's, it's, this isn't necessarily where you would go to kind of emerge as a rising star executive, because the last few GMs that have been through this team, their stocks went down when they, when they left here. So, uh, like, like Derek was saying, this is, it's a tough sell to take this job.
1: You know, considering that, I mean, you think about the, and there's a plethora of candidates out there, whether you're a seasoned GM, somebody like, say, Mark Hunter or Kelly McCrimmon, who's been an assistant general manager with a team that, you know, had success, Maple Leafs in recent times and the Golden Knights, obviously these last two seasons, or whether you end up getting somebody who, I mean, I guess, you know, the guy likes like Pat Verbeek and Billy Garen and all these guys have been AGMs as well. You know, maybe a bit younger. I mean, Pat Verbeek's not, Pat Verbeek's nuts. He's no 40-year-old. He's still – he's been around the game for a long time. But you just get the sense that if they end up going with a guy like Keith Gretzky or they go with somebody who's a little, you know, less uh, – you know, Hunter and McCrimmon get knocked around a lot. I mean, we, we talk about them a lot because they're probably – high on the list. But if we end up with a, with a candidate who, uh, I can't even, I don't even want to mention a name. We end up with a candidate that's like, oh, okay. We didn't quite expect him. Somebody who's not in the top five of everybody's wish list Is that maybe an indication that the Oilers couldn't convince a Mark Hunter or a Kelly McCrimmon to come in because they couldn't have that much say and have that much power. Go with somebody who's maybe doesn't have that, that kind of, uh, cachet. Well,
2: it, it just, it depends what their plan is, right? They're sitting down with Bob Nicholson and he's saying, okay, take a look at this roster. It's not very good. We're up against the cap. We don't have anybody to trade. How do you go about fixing this? And then That ultimately is where the decision should be made. Right? Is you know what this guy's plan for the future of the Edmonton Oilers is going to be, and is it going to be you know we might need a bit of a rebuild here? Is it going to be we're going to have to do some some sort of buyouts? Does it mean trading Nugent Hopkins? Does it mean you know getting another goalie? Like, what is your plan to get them out of this mess? And and I think ultimately that's where the the decision has to be made. And unless you're in the room, you know. McCrimmon and, and Hunter, they're sort of one and one A, like they're the same person. They might not have the same vision for where the Edmonton Oilers need to be, you know, six months from now, this summer, and then halfway through next season, and then at the end of next season, there's a, a lot of big moves that might have to be made to get them through this, and somebody might be saying let's stay the course and wait for the young kids uh, Ethan Bear and those guys to develop. Somebody else might be saying, like, let's make some hard, aggressive moves because that's the only way out of this, so you know, I'd, I'd want to hear what they had to say first before I pass judgment, but uh, no, people just like to pass judgment.
0: <laughs> well, this is the situation I look at it. When Kevin Lowe stepped away, he stepped away. Yeah, he, he said he stepped away for personal reasons, but I, I'm still convinced he stepped away because Daryl Cates wanted some say in the team. And Daryl Cates offered Marion Hosa $8 million, $81 million for eight years. And that was a deal that Kevin Lowe. Looked at and said, no, we can't afford that in a salary cup structure. That's going to blow up everything I'm doing. I, I don't want to be your GM anymore. If you're going to come in here and tell me I got to sign Marion Hosa. if you're going to come in here and tell me I got to sign uh, Mike Comrie, if you're going to come in here and tell me I got to sign this guy or this guy. And so they stepped away. And when he stepped away, they needed to bring in a GM that would allow that that would say, okay, you know what? I understand what you're coming. And so they got Steve Tambolini. And at that time, it made perfect sense because Steve Tambolini wanted to be an executive. He wanted to get in that GM role. He had this opportunity. And all basically, they said, you're going to be the GM, but the owner's going to have some suggestions and you're going to have to have signed some guys. And And that happened when they brought in and signed Mike Comrie. Mike Comrie was a guy that they didn't need, but but they needed Mike Comrie because they had the the... the keep Bill Connery happy because they needed Bill Connery support for the new arena deal. It it was just so convoluted. So now you're looking at the situation where are they going to bring another GM that says, okay, well you have basically the run of the team, but if Daryl Kate says, you got to have this guy on your payroll, you got to have this guy on your staff. You got to have this guy scouting for you. Are you going to be able to get a GM that says, "Mm, you know what? Uh, I don't know. I don't know if that works for me. So I think that's, You know, when you're a young executive and there's only 31 GM jobs available, it's going to be 32 when Seattle comes in and you want to get into it. Sometimes you have to kind of make those concessions. And is that if you're getting a GM that's making those concessions, are you getting the best GM available? And I think there's a lot of pressure on the owners right now to bring someone in because it is the third year renewal of season tickets. It is a third year renewal of boxes. And people want to see the direction of this team before they sign up for another three years or five years or 10 years or whatever it is. So I think there is some pressure there, but wh- what are they looking at right now? Are they looking at a guy that can come in here and, and still have some say and Daryl Kate still wants to have some say in, in direction of his club. Or do they look in a guy that come here and has free range to clean out everybody if he wants to. And I think that's the biggest question right now. And if I was one of those GMs looking for that job, that's what I'd be asking the Oilers right now.
1: And that's why I'm suggesting that if it ends up being a guy like Mark Hunter or McCrimmon, or maybe even say Ken Holland, who was recently you know, promoted, mm-hmm. quote unquote, to senior VP, but you know, as Stevie Y came in to uh, take the GM range to Detroit, if it's one of those guys, then maybe it is a signal that the orders are willing to have everything changed over. That guy has all the say in the world. You yeah, know, nobody's- Daryl kids will go, okay, fine. Just do it. I want a winning team. However, we get somebody who's less of a name it is a Steve Steve Tambolini all over again. That's it, what I think. It is. And then I think that we saw the situation with Steve Tambolini. He
0: was doing what he could, but he also had some influence and some input from people above him. And it's tough to your job when you're always having someone look over your shoulder and someone telling you, you know what? We need to sign this guy, not for hockey reasons, but maybe for other reasons. We need to sign this guy or you need to keep bring this guy on board or, or you got to hire this guy as a scout. Not necessarily because he's the best scout, but he's a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend type thing. This is where the, the mess has to get cleaned up here in Edmonton.
2: Yeah. And I, the the team itself too. Like, I I honestly don't know how you would fix this like quickly, like to get this team in, into the playoffs next season, because if they miss again, it, it it's going to be bad. And I, are you are you going to have to trade like a, a, a Nugent Hopkins and a cleft bomb to bring in different different pieces? Because, you know, you look at the players on this team that you can trade to, to bring something valuable back. And there aren't a whole bunch other than the, you know, integral pieces that you, you can't let go. So, I I i would be interested to hear what the pitches are. Like these guys, you know, they studied, they would have to study the, the you know, the Oilers to some extent and, and have a plan that they're going to put forward in those meetings. And is it, you know, let's wait and hope that Tyler Benson and, and Yamamoto and, and uh, Bouchard can come in here and be the difference makers, or are you going to have to be proactive and, and somehow, even though you're up against the cap and you don't have anything to trade and the free agents <laughs> don't want to come here, bring in the three or four impact players that you need to turn this team around. That's a, Tough, tough order. And I honestly don't know how they do it.
0: Well, the situation with Kelly McCrimmon, it's, it's interesting because, yeah, he wants to be a GM in, GM in the league, but he's probably the front runner for Seattle as well. And, and, and he looks at himself and he goes, okay, well, I'm in a pretty good spot here in Vegas. I'm learning a lot. I'm doing well. I'm having lots of fun. We're making the playoffs. We're going on these runs. In two years, that Seattle job's going to be open and probably my name will be the number one on the list. And I get to start from scratch, I get to build my own team. I'll do it my own way, the way we did it in, in, in Vegas. I don't have to take any out bad contracts. I don't have to have any players that I don't want. Um, that's pretty attractive as well for Kelly McCrimmon to say that and to say, okay, do I want to come into Edmonton with a terrible situation uh, or do I want to go and try and do what I did in Vegas in Seattle? They're going to have the, all the exact same advantages that Vegas did. They're going to have really good players to pick from it, 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 in the in the import or in, um, expansion draft. So that's something that's weighing as well. And if you're looking at Kelly McCrimmon, and I'm Kelly, if I'm Kelly McCrimmon, I'm wondering, well, yeah, I know, I don't know. I think the Seattle thing is really attractive. So you guys are going to have to pay me a lot to come to Edmonton, or somehow make it worth my while to kind of turn down that Seattle
2: job. Yeah, there's way better jobs than Edmonton right now. Like Vegas looks like a ton of fun. Then that community that they live in, just outside of Vegas, is like this paradise. It's it's you know this beautiful little you know city it has nothing to do with the strip but if you want to go to the strip it's right there the fans the the arena the atmosphere it's a good team and you go to seattle which is another great city and, and do the whole thing again why would you come here and try to untangle this terrible ball of yarn on an organization that's missed the playoffs 12 or 13 years and if you miss again people are going to be all over you it's just going to get ugly here so i uh,
1: i guess yeah. on the flip side you, you turn it around and you're if you are you a golden that, god yeah yeah <laughs> And if I'm a fan base, I want an expansion team. Like, you know, see you later, Oilers. Move to yeah. move to Houston, and we'll <laughs> get the Edmonton somethings. No, I'm kidding.
0: <laughs> well, that's a, that's the state of reality. is expansion team was better is off in better shape than the Edmonton Oilers are right now because this team has been mismanaged for so many years, uh, and you, you, a, an expansion team with no players, no one in the system, no contracts is a better option than what the Oilers are offering right now with up against the cap, even the fact that they have the best player in the world, but they don't have much in the system. They just, it's just been, it's just such a, you're right. A ball of yarn here that some guys got to come in here, not only untangle but untangle relatively quickly. He can't come in here and build a plan and say, I got a four year, five year plan for your hockey team. No, you're going to have to have a one year plan for this hockey team. Cause this hockey team, can't can't be missing the playoffs again. You can't go 13 or 14 years missing the playoffs. And that's the thing. He's going to have a gun to his head. He's going to have a bad situation. He's got bad contracts. And then he's got an owner that wants his buddies to be part of the team as well. So it's it's a really, really tough sell for anyone to come here and be the general manager of the American Oilers right now.
1: Who here is a member of the Professional Hockey Writers Association? Put up your hand. Yeah, I am. Yeah. Yeah? I got two of you. Two out of two. Wow. So, you had to vote on six awards, right? Hart Trophy, Norris Trophy, Selkie Trophy, Lady Bing Trophy, uh, Masterton Trophy, and I'm missing one. Not the Vesna Trophy.
2: Uh, I haven't even seen a ballot in a while. You haven't I, seen a ballot? No. No.
1: Okay, because the Hart Trophy is one of the yeah one of the finalists. One is that what you vote on? You vote on the finalists. Do you put forth. Do you put forth a bunch of names? I don't know pre-do? who nominates
2: the 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 final three. I'm not sure. They just present
1: yeah. a, a, a list. So you guys have to pick from the final three. Is right. That right. Okay. Because Connor McDavid is one of the finalists yeah. this year, and we just found out about them here over the weekend. Nikita Kucherov from Tampa Bay is one. Sidney Crosby from the Penguins another one, and and Connor McDavid gets a nominee. Now, Connor McDavid's team did not make the playoffs. What are the chances Connor McDavid is going to win? Probably slim to zero because he's on a non-playoff team. The last person to win that trophy uh and whose team didn't make the playoffs was Mary Lemieux in 1988. Um however, Connor McDavid did have a career season playing on a non-playoff team. Kucherov did win the Art Ross trophy. Um, he had 128 points. McDavid had 116. He was runner-up for the Art Ross, his top scorer. I don't know. I mean, who's more valuable to his team, Kucherov or McDavid or Crosby, I guess? Who Who are you going to vote for? I, I hate the
2: the way the award is worded. I think it's it's terrible. It yeah. should just be for your best player. That's why I hold the Ted Lindsay Award in much higher esteem than the Hart, because the Hart is such a – such a most valuable to your team. It should be Bennington then in St. Louis. They were last place, and they're now a cup favorite. You know, yeah. they're a cup contender.
1: And so, the exact wording of the Hart Trophy is the player most valuable most to his valuable team. Most valuable to his team. And the Lindsay Award, which used to be the Pearson Award, right, which is awarded by the PA. The
2: players vote on who is the best player in the league. That
1: one is on who is the best. And player that's
2: in the, the one that McDavid's. You know, got you know two or three. I mean, Kucherov had a great year. You can't just say he plays on a good team. He put up the most points in that anybody's put up in a long time you, you can't ignore that then you start to get into this gray area where okay I'm going to penalize him because he's on a good team so then only guys who are on bad teams go in the heart it's it's stupid I don't I don't like the way it's done but I did probably say Kucherov has had a had a better year but you're into that hybrid you know is McDavid a better player I would say so it's you know he's contributed 50 percent of Edmonton's offense but again you know the other counter argument is how valuable really are you if your team didn't make it so, you know, I, I suspect it'll be Kucherov because he had a fantastic year, no question about it, on a team that, you know, <laughs> didn't, didn't win a playoff game either. But, you know, nevertheless, he, you know, it's a regular season award and he had a great year. So, you know, there you go.
0: Yeah, I, I have, it's funny because you can interpret most valuable player to your team in so many different ways. and, 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 and first off is, okay, well, first, where did you take your team? Like where were your team would have been without you as, as I look at it. And the owner still would have missed the playoffs without Connor McDavid. They would have missed probably by 40 points as opposed to whatever they missed by 10 or 12 or whatever it was this year. So they, they wouldn't have been, even been close. It would have been a dreadful team to watch. It would have been awful without McDavid in the lineup. Um, you take Kucherov out of Tampa's lineup. They probably still make the playoffs and then they're obviously probably still lose out in four games. So they don't go any further. With him, with him or without him in the lineup, you take Crosby out of the lineup. Are uh, still there enough for Pittsburgh to make the playoffs? Probably, they still have a pretty decent roster with him. So that's the 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 criteria first that I look at, and I I'm a strong believer that you have to you have to get in the playoffs to win this award. I I know Jerome McGainlaw once was uh, was a big candidate for this award, and, and Calgary just missed out on the playoffs. But you're still not leading your team anywhere. So I think it's it's it, that's the situation. And, and Rob's right. If it's the best player in the league award, hands down, Connor McDavid. He's the best player. I think that no one can really debate that. It's ever watched him play and and see the numbers that he puts up, and just imagine what he would do on a lineup like Tampa Bay's or on a lineup like Pittsburgh's. And wh- how many points would he be putting up? Would he be a hundred and fifty point player every year? If you know he had he didn't have to get fifty percent of his team points. If if they had. A bit more scoring around him, right? he didn't have to carry the team by himself every night. Um, it's a tough. It's a tough wording of the award. I know it, it, there's a lot of debate to it. And maybe that's maybe the NHL likes that. Maybe the NHL likes the the, the fact that they have debate the and there's no clear cut winner every year. I, I think it is Kucherov this year. I think he had a fantastic season. I think he was very valuable to his team. Was he the most valuable to his team? Again, that, again, that's very subjective. Uh, but McDavid belongs there because he is the best player in the world. Crosby still is one of the best players in the world. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's a tough, tough situation. Yeah, you're right. I, I wish they would say who is the best player in the league. Just leave it at that. And it would be an easy, easy award. But it, maybe I think the the NHL likes that debate. They like the fact that people are talking about it. They like the fact that, Hey, if your team doesn't make the playoffs, should you be in the running for this award? I know that a lot of people are upset that he's even in the running because the Oilers didn't make the playoffs, but it's, it's, it's yeah, at least for debate, at least for a lot for interpretation, I think, just the wording and the way the award is presented.
2: Yeah, the way they word it, it's almost like you have to give it to the best player on a shitty team. Like that, like that's all you can do is like if you're on a good team, well, you shouldn't win because you had a lot of help. Well, you know, what, what's that all about, right? It's it's really ambiguously worded and it's I, I don't like the way it it, it goes down because every team's starting goalie is their most valuable player. You You lose your starting goalie and… You know, twenty teams out of thirty are done. So, you know, if you want to make that argument, who's most valuable to your team? It's your, it's your, probably your starting goalie. So,
1: well, I mean, the Hart Trophy is an old trophy. It's almost a hundred years old. Yeah. Um, you know, it was oh. first presented in the 1920s, and back then they had probably their own criteria and wording. I mean, language does change over time. But you know, they created the the Lindsay now the Ted Lindsay Award. You know, I think Lester B. Pearson back in the sixties. I can't remember why it was named after him. Uh, whether you know, I have to go do a, a history lesson and find out, but they really should have just, you know, not had created a second award to make it so weird. They should have just re, rene- you know, changed the criteria for the heart trophy since it was the original one. It looks really cool too, that trophy. No, it's a, it's a great looking trophy, but you're right. Maybe that's why they
0: were probably having this debate 80 years ago when, right. when someone that, you know, a six-team league and someone that was the best player didn't make the playoffs. <laughs> it
1: was one of those oh, teams were, that didn't make the playoffs. That was back when they had 11 teams like the the Montreal Maroons <laughs> and the New York Americans. Yeah, And yeah. could go on and on. Were the Ottawa Silver 7 still a thing? No. I'm sure they were the Senators by then.
2: Yeah, you shouldn't You shouldn't penalize a player for being on a good team. Like we saw that with Wayne Gretzky, you know, a few times. And it's just, you know, I think that's why some. I think even the voting is some people are saying, you know, screw it, I'm voting for the best player, and other people are going, you know, by the letter of the the wording and saying, you know, most valuable too. And I think people are voting on different,
1: you know, criteria. criteria.
0: Yeah, that's the problem. They're not all on the same page when it
1: comes to who who they should be voting for this award. So I'm getting the sense that you guys are voting for Kucherov as their first place.
0: Well, I think you should it, yeah, personally. like. And you're in Edmonton. You're not getting a, oh, you're not getting Edmonton, a Christmas but card I from I do somebody. believe that had the Oilers made the playoffs, it'd be a different story. <laughs> but I, I, I'm a strong believer that you have to take your team somewhere. Yeah. You can't just say, well, without him, they would have been 50 points out of the playoffs, I suppose a 10. No, yeah. You still got to get in the playoffs. We had
2: a bad team, but we would have been even worse if it wasn't for Connor yeah, McDavid. Conor McDavid. Yeah. So, yeah.
0: I think that, to me, that's a criteria. You got to get in the
1: playoffs. Now, the order sent down Evan Bouchard to the OHL before he hit his 10 games back in the fall, start of the season. Um, he did watch a few games from the press box too. And you know it looks like it was the right move. He won the Ontario Hockey League's Defenseman of the Year award recently. His team, the London Knights, got into the playoffs. And they were uh, defeated by uh, the 12th Storm, led by another Otter's defensive prospect. And now Evan Bouchard is in the AHL. He was called up to Bakersfield or called over to Bakersfield uh, where the Condors are in the playoffs. And he played a couple of games and scored a couple of goals and four points overall. And, uh, you know, it's not uncommon for uh, teams to bring over junior players, you know, in this situation in the playoffs, particularly when, you know, Evan Bouchard is 19 years old and and uh, obviously was a star in the OHL and He's having an impact on their blue line, so yeah, I guess obviously when an Oilers fans and Oilers observers can go, Yeah, we can expect to see a strong showing probably from Bouchard come training camp, and he'll likely be on the opening day roster, uh, for the Oilers come come October.
2: Uh, I hope not. Yeah, I just, but maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I think if you're putting together this team and you have if you have spots penciled in for. You know Bouchard or or Yamamoto or Tyler Benson. That's you're you're making a big mistake. You're going you're taking a step back. I think you have to have your whole roster set and ready to go with NHL players. And if one of those other kids kicks down the door, then it's a bonus. It's found money. But you you can't start the season counting on them to be because that's what they did this year. And you know they all busted. And the season was lost. Right. You know, let's have Yamamoto up here. Let's have uh, Arvey up here. And then all these people that we just cross our fingers and and hope that they turn into players like Bouchard has NHL offense right now. Like he can he can shoot the puck. He can move the puck. He's he's if they do it right. He's going to be exactly what they need. He's going to be this top pairing offensive defenseman puck mover, great shot, power play, the whole thing. But you got to be really careful and, and just go really, really slow with him. Like if, if they have him up here, he's your third pairing guy and bring him out for the power plays and that sort of thing. But just I wouldn't mind giving him 25, 30 games in the American League to start next season. And if he is just so dominant down there that he forces your hand, then great. But if you're sitting there thinking, okay, let's, let's save a spot for him on opening night and cross our fingers that, that we don't do to him what we did to Justin Schultz that's uh that could be an egregious mistake
0: yeah I, the owners are always in kind of a catch-22 situation when it comes to good prospects is the fact that they don't have anyone better on their NHL lineup and you almost have to be forced to play these good prospects because these good prospects are better than the guys that you have and I think that's a vicious cycle to try and end it's a bad cycle to try to 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 be in when you have a guy like Evan Bouchard and he comes into your lineup and he's probably better than three-year defensemen that you have on NHL contracts. And I think you you have to be patient. You have to be that patient. But they're doing it right. They did it right with, with Caleb Jones and Ethan Bear. They're doing it right. And they have to do it right with Evan Bouchard. They have to give him a chance to, to develop into an elite player. And will he do that being in the NHL, playing three minutes, five minutes a night? On your third pairing, uh, sitting in the press box every other game? No, he's not going to do it that here. He's got to go down, and and he's got to develop, and he's got to be dominant in the American Hockey League, and he's got to gain that confidence so when he does come up here, he can kind of contribute in the same manner. Um, They looked at him this year, and he looked good in spots, and he looked good offensively, you're right, but he was a liability on defense, and I think he's still probably going to be a liability on defense, and I think that's something that he has to develop in his game at the American Hockey League level. And you have to be patient with guys like this. And 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 they've done it so far. But when the guys in the American Hockey League are better than the guys you have in the NHL, it's really tough to say, well, why aren't we playing this guy? Why isn't this guy here? And I think they did that with Pugliarvi. And they are hoping that Pugliarvi would work out. And Pugliarvi is kind of a strange case because I think there's a lot of, Uh, social issues as well with Pooley. It's not just hockey. It's the language. You can listen to her show. He's kind of an introverted kid. It's a lot of things that you have to kind of watch out with Pooley. It's not just hockey. It wasn't just a hockey decision that they said, no, we need him up here because he's kind of lost down in Bakersfield. And so Evan Bouchard is not that case. I think he can go down there. He can be a a leader. He can be a captain. He can be a really good player on that hockey team. But again the Oilers don't have that time. They don't have the luxury of that time because they've missed the playoffs 12 or 13 years. They don't have the luxury of, of of being able to you know, really develop and really let these guys ripen in the American hockey league like the Oilers want to do, like the Detroit Red Wings were doing for years and years and years because they were drafting so well and had such a good team. But then suddenly, when they weren't doing as well, suddenly, then you saw Dylan Larkin up in the NHL real quick. Then you saw some of those younger guys up in the NHL really quick. It's a nice thing to say that, yeah, we're going to just develop him and leave him down there. But when, when he's better than the guys that you have here, up here, and then you have a mandate to win up here right away, it's a tough thing to do. So I'm with Rob. I'd like to see him down there for at least half a year to let him play and let him develop. And 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 if he's too good for that league, then you bring him up to the next league. I think he was too good for the OHL. Unfortunately, you, there is no buffer when you're 19. It's either NHL or junior. And I, I really like to see some concession being made maybe if you're a first round pick or if you're a top 10 pick or if you're, you know then you you have that option to go into American Hockey League because I think at that stage you're too good for junior you're not going to develop at all you're not going to get any better playing with guys that are worse than you are you're only going to get better playing with guys that are better than you are so I'd really like to see the NHL take a hard look at that I know the junior teams don't want that because they they're losing their star players but I think if you're a top first round pick you should have the option to go in the American Hockey League and I think that's something that the NHL should look at but I don't know how much better he got from last year to this year because he wasn't playing with a lot of players that are a lot better than him
2: Yeah, now. I put zero stock in what guys do in junior almost because yeah. you're playing against 17-year-olds, 18-year-olds and one or two guys on every team might be you know, mediocre NHL players one day. When you get to the NHL, everybody in the NHL is in the NHL. It's a different world. The same from the American League. How many players have we seen you know the really good ahl players and then they came up here and it's nothing you know there's jf shock or anton lander a lot of those guys that were stars down there and just couldn't make that jump it's a hard league so go as slow as you can and like wait till he kicks down the door and and if he's the guy that everybody thinks he'll he is it shouldn't take very long but let him make that decision don't make it for him
1: and I think about a couple of things. I think about was there ever a time when the Oilers asked their fan base to be patient with, you know, with players and prospects? We, you know, whether we maybe it was twenty, twenty-five years ago, I don't know. Not in the '80s. It had to be sometime in the mid '90s when the team wasn't doing that well and they had some prospects down in the AHL or coming up or whatever. And they're like, "Yeah, we can't just throw Ryan Smith onto the first line right away. He's not ready." You know, eventually he was ready or whatever. I, was there a time? Yeah. Well, there
0: might have been, but I think this team is does a poor job of drafting and developing that that really they have So could the owners
1: go out and say, "Folks, got to be patient, you know, we're, you know, we've we've got to let these guys develop." I mean, Bob Nicholson has basically suggested that.
0: Just yeah, he suggested about that, but, uh, how much patience is the fan base going to have when you're already missing the playoffs? If I was a fan, I'd be like, "You know what? I'll be patient. I'll come back when you're when you're good. Yeah. Like I guess now, it depends on how well their the seat sales are going. Yeah. That's the problem. Is like if I was a fan, I'd be like, you know what? I've I've been patient for twelve years, thirteen years now, and now you're asking me to be patient because you guys have done such a poor job of drafting and developing. And you look at the situation where they had the four first overall picks, go back to that Taylor Hall year. Who do they who who do they have from that Taylor Hall outside of Taylor Hall? Like they no one no one came through that draft. Go back to the Nugent Hopkins year, the Yakupov year. They did such a poor job drafting in the second and third and fourth and fifth rounds that that's why the cupboards are bare. That's why they don't have decent players to come up. And 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 I think they over the last couple of years they've done a better job making those decisions and making those draft calls, but. You know, you draft a player at seventeen, you're not going to get him in your lineup till he's twenty, twenty-one. He's not going to be an impact player till he's twenty-two, twenty-three. That's a that's a long process, and especially with defensemen. It takes defensemen yeah. a good five to seven years before they become really, really good defensemen. You look at Brett Burns. How long did he kind of was playing up front, playing back, playing like he took him a long while to develop and become this great defenseman. Well, the
2: others only have two types of draft picks: they guys that are in the top ten and guys that don't make it, and that's it. Like who the guys that you're patient with are the ones you've taken the second or third or fourth round and you know they've been down in the ahl for three or four years and then they come the others don't have any of those guys so there's been nobody to really wait on uh, other than the guys that they pick you know first and third and fourth and seventh and tenth and okay and, and those guys are the ones they kind of they're better than everybody else so they're quicker than everybody else so there is not a whole lot of wait time or traditionally hasn't been with with that group but uh you know, you look at this team, there's one player on the team drafted outside the, the first round, right? jujar Jarkera. And everybody else is first, first, third, fourth, seventh. You know, you and I could have made those picks.
1: And I think about, you know, this second part of things, n- never mind the history of the orders and asking their fan base to be patient. But I think about Canadian franchises who have followed a model of drafting and developing and are now reaping the benefits or whoever have. Um, you could almost say almost every Canadian team is – done a better job than the others have. You know, the Winnipeg Jets come to mind. I mean, how many of their players who are on their team right now, I know they lost in the first round, but obviously last year they went to the conference final. And boy, that, you know, it that, that looks like they're they're good for years to come considering who mm-hmm. they have in their lineup, who they drafted and developed over the last few years. Because it wasn't that long ago when maybe their GM, Kevin Sheffield Dayoff, and, and their head coach, Paul Maurice, were you know they're they're under the gun they have yeah. to make the playoffs yeah. you know it was what 2 3 years ago when it was like eh, you guys don't get the job the next year you know you might not be ha- might not have a job but you know the patience paid off
2: although calgary's got Calgary a great well. vancouver has got a ton things. of young guys ottawa drafts really well like my
1: toronto for
2: yeah. that matter edmonton i think yeah is the runaway worst in that whole department like look out for vancouver in a couple of years they've got some really good cornerstones coming up and they're not first overall picks
0: yeah, I think the mistake that the owners made, one, they didn't have a very good scouting staff. They had friends and buddies and former players, and, and the scouting staff wasn't very good. But when they had those top picks, the number one picks overall, they spent too much time focusing on whether they were going to take Taylor Hall or, or Sagan. They spent too much time focusing on whether they're going to take Nugent Hopkins or Landis Gogg. They spent too much time focusing on whether they're going to take Yakupov or, or Murray they didn't spend enough time wondering who they're going to take at 31. And you get, then you get guys like Mitch Murrow's taken at 31 and some other basic guys that didn't work out at 31 because they spent too much time focusing on the first round and not enough focusing on the second and third and fourth round. And that would have been a pr- great opportunity to say, okay, well, let's not worry too much about, we're going to get, number one. we're going to get a good player regardless, regardless who we take at number one. We're not guaranteed a good player at 31 and they didn't do their homework. And they just said, and they, and, they, and they made some bad picks at the second and third rounds that just were busts. And I think that's what really costs the Oilers right now. And, and you look at the teams that do well through the draft, they don't get the high-end picks. They do well because they have to do their homework because they have to get guys in the middle of the first round, late first round, late second round, late third round. And those are the guys that pan out for them. And I think that is something that... The Oilers really have to clean up. They really have to focus on the later rounds of the draft and not just worry about trying to hit
1: a home run in the first round. How about those Carolina Hurricanes? What the? They're up two games to nothing now in the Islanders after... Two games on the island. Is it because they were playing in Brooklyn? Did the Islanders need to play in Uniondale more often or what? What's I think, going on? You know, part of that is, I think it's
0: part of that. I think their loyal fan base is still out in the island and they, they're still the Islanders on the island. Um, but this playoffs have been so unpredictable anyway, and it's wide open now. Like Everyone's out. It's wide open. Anybody could win the situation. I think they're seeing it now. I think Carolina's... They're they're ravaged by injury, so I don't know how far they can go. They still got a lot of guys hurt. Then they lost their starting goalie now. So now, so how far can they go without their starting goalie? Um, but I think they yeah they did get lucky that you know the Pittsburghs are out, the Lightning is out, you know the Leafs are out, the Boston's still around. But I think now it's wide open, and 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 they're going far on this. We saw what they did in two thousand six. I don't think anyone expected them to go as far as they did in two thousand six. So they're kind of trying to catch that lightning in a bottle as well. Um, but yeah, it's been a really weird playoff and I think it's, it's interesting how nothing has gone to script and so who knows what could happen and who knows who says the Islanders can't go to Carolina when two games there and then you have a series again. So it's, I, you know, I wouldn't count anyone out at this time and, and I just think it's, it's kind of interesting to see how, how the parody in the league is really showing now that any team can beat any team on a given night. Yeah.
2: Uh, It's not a lot of sexy markets left in in the playoffs right now. I'm not sure what the (laughs) NHL is thinking about this. They know you've got Boston, maybe, but, uh, you know, a lot of these, you know, underdog stories that outside of their own markets, like, you know, I don't know that Columbus moves the needle that much, you know, for hockey fans in, in the rest of North America. I mean, it's a great story, a good team and everything, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what series the cup winner is coming out of. I think it's either Boston, Columbus, probably out of the East, I would think. And then out west, I don't, know. I picked St. Louis at the start. I'll stick with them, but they're just, those games are boring to watch. <laughs> I don't like watching the Blues play much at all.
1: But such a contrast. Cause right now we have the NBA playoffs at the very same time in the exact same round, second round NBA. And of course, the NBA versus the NHL, when you're modeling your franchises, you have the super franchises in the NBA and those, those are like Golden State. You know, they're obviously in the, in the final eight here. In the second round of the NBA playoffs, you know the Toronto Raptors are also playing Boston Celtics. Um, we got some super teams, but it's such a contrast because you know most people. What every almost was it every single first round series went the way everybody thought it was going to go in the NBA.
2: I mean, I, I watch the NBA the way it's designed to be watched. Is I ignore it until the final. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care who's you know all these fodder teams that they trot out to to get eliminated. I don't like the league. I don't like the game, but I'll, you know, I, I'll i maybe watch the final just to see, you know, hopefully somebody beats Golden State. You know, I like LeBron a little bit. You know, he's a good character player and, and probably the greatest player of all time. But uh, the way the NBA is set up where, you know, there's got 25 farm teams and, and five real teams or however many teams are in that league or whatever, it's that's not for me i don't care I, but I'll, in the nba the, the 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 thing gains momentum the further you go on in the playoffs in the nhl it kind of loses it the first round is incredible yeah. and then it kind of you know once your market's out summer's here and you, you pay less attention to it unless you're hanging around the pool
0: yeah i, I peter i think it's funny because i think there was a lot more parody in the nhl when it comes to the top 15 teams in the league because you saw it this year the bottom half of the league they were all bad and that's why the owners were even Anywhere near yeah. the playoff race. Because all the teams at Western Conference were terrible, the bottom half of those teams. And I think you had some elite teams at the top. But that's what happens with the salary cap era. When, you, when you're paying one or two players, you can only pay them the astronomical amounts. And then everyone else is third or fourth line guys. And I think that's what's happening here is that you're getting into a situation where you're paying your top guys 11, 10, 11 million dollars a year. And then you have a real big gap. And then you have to fill out the roster, the rest of them with $1.2 million players. And I think that's leading to the parity in, in the NHL. And and you're hoping that you get a good $1.2 million player because that's going to make the difference now, not necessarily your 11 or $12 million players. And I think the Maple Leafs are going to realize that when they have to pay Mitch Marner next year, and they're not going to be able yeah. to afford all those guys. So now you're going to have four $11 million players and you're going to have seven $900,000 players and you're going to hope you can win that way. And I think that's the the difference right now. In the NBA, you can load up with three star players. It's the same thing in the NBA. You would get guys that are making $25 million. Then you guys, the eight or nine or 10th guy on the bench is making $400,000 or $300, whatever the minimum is in the NBA. So there's a big gap. And I think that's what we're seeing in the NHL now is that the gap between your number 18 player and your number two and three player is huge. It's and it's growing. It's getting bigger because of the salary cap, and I think um, that's a situation that kind of makes all the teams kind of on par. You don't have two or three good lines anymore. You have two or three good players, and then you're trying to fill your roster with whatever you have the rest of the way.
2: Yeah, and I'm not sure parity is great. Everybody loves parity, and they try to chase parity. But history has shown that people don't really like parity. They like the super teams. You know, they like Duke and and Kentucky, and they like the watching the patriots whether cheer for them or cheer for them to lose nba is doing really well with what golden state has done and a couple of those other teams if if you have a you know a different team from small markets winning all the time it's it doesn't move the needle the same way that the the super teams do like even if people don't like it i think those leagues have it, have it figured out that uh, if you have a dominant team that, that team that, you know, everybody knows and either loves or hates, then you're going to, you're going to follow the fortunes of that team. Whether you, you want to see the Yankees lose or you want to see the Patriots lose or you want to see them win, you know, you'll watch that. Whereas, you know, Columbus, St. Louis in the final, I'm not sure.
1: Do I'll you think it. the NHL needs to take that into consideration moving into the future?
0: They might. They might. I don't know. Maybe they like the parody. I don't know. Maybe they like the fact that Rob's right. If Columbus gets to the final, the only people who will care are in Ohio. I don't think anyone's yeah. gonna watch that final. Um, San Jose moves the needle a little bit, but not that much. But St. Louis gets into the final. It's same thing. No one outside of St. Louis really cares. Those teams don't have a national following.
1: That's the Oil Spills podcast for today. Subscribe to Oil Spills on iTunes and Google Play. You can also listen to it via the Edmonton Journal and Edmonton Sun apps and websites.